The last day of August. That's one of the saddest days of the year, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of the punctuation to the three summer months, and we're at it. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I am Chris Quinn, here with Courtney Astafi, Lisa Garvin, and Laura Johnston, who I imagine all think they had pretty good summers, yes? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, it's still that's... not over yet, Chris. We still have one more long weekend of summer. <laughs> I know, but it's uh, <laughs> all over but the shouting. Speaking of shouting, let's get to our stories. We've got an E. coli outbreak that includes Ohio with dozens of people falling ill. And the CDC can't say for sure what caused it. Is there anything much more frightening than knowing E. coli is around and you don't know how you get it? But it is looking like Wendy's hamburgers are to blame. Courtney, what's the story here? Yeah, so Ohioans have been hit, I guess, pretty hard with this E. coli outbreak. Our numbers here have risen to 23 people with infections, and most of the infections are in Michigan, but we're coming in second, and then there's a handful of cases in Pennsylvania and Indiana. But uh, what we learned from the CDC is that most of the folks who came down with this issue um, reported eating sandwiches, burgers from Wendy's, just basically anything from Wendy's with romaine lettuce on it. So that seems to be narrowing down potentially the source of these E. coli infections in this four-state region. You know, the CDC says it, it's not telling people to avoid eating it at Wendy's restaurants. And since this has all started getting going a few weeks ago, the fast food chains removed the romaine lettuce from their sandwiches in this region, and they use a different kind of greens for salads. So it seems like the, the source of it is probably under control at this point, if it is indeed Wendy's. But we still have these cases going. There's been 38 hospitalizations, but no deaths, thank, thankfully. It, it's amazing how much trust we put into the system when we eat at restaurants. You have no idea what risks await you. I don't think anybody who ordered a Wendy's hamburger thought they'd be sick as dogs as a result. Speaking of E. coli, Laura Johnston's favorite swimming hole filled up with it again this week. What is going on with all the sewage in Lake Erie? Well, blame the heavy rain and the fact that we have combined storm sewers in, in Cleveland, which obviously we have been working for a long time to keep to update and the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District is still working on. But when it rains really hard, they fill up with water from the uh, from the rain and they overflow the sewer and it goes into the lake. And this is the second time in a month that the overflow at Edgewater has happened. And what's funny or sad, I guess, is that they call this the, the, the pipe there that it's able to handle 25 year storms. And what that is, is they think that kind of rain would only happen every 25 years, but it happens twice in a month because I mean, I'm going to call it climate change. It, we get heavier rains than we used to. So it, this overflow has happened 40 to 50 times a year through the mid seventies. In 2020, there were four. And this summer, I believe we're at two. Yeah, two, but they were very close together. I, the, the odd yes. thing for me on this one, Laura, was that it rained hard, but it didn't seem like it was anything out of the ordinary. Now, that could be because ordinary has changed, that, that the kind mm -hmm. of rain we got this week is wasn't something we were used to back 10, 15 years ago, but it happens regularly enough where you think, oh, it's raining hard. 
But I, I didn't see that as the Florida style downpour. And yet it was enough to completely fill the lake with E. coli. You're right. Like when it happened earlier this month, I, I, can, I know I saw the deluge. I was running home in it. And I was like, oh, this is that this is that big rain. And all I could figure is it happened while I was sleeping. and I wasn't aware of it. But you're right, because a, a steady rain, even a pretty steady hard rain shouldn't be the one that's flushing poop into the lake, basically. Yeah. Right. Because when this happens, it makes the water unsafe. You should not be in it, especially small children, elderly, anyone who's susceptible. Uh, the NURSD, they go out and they sample. They're going to be sampling twice a day until it's clean again. But yeah, this is when all the gross stuff gets washed into the lake. And we should know even if we don't have a storm sewer overflow, anything that's been on lawns and fertilizers that runs into regular storm sewers does run into the lake on a regular basis. So anything you've seen those little pen stenciled signs that say Lake Erie starts here, anything that goes on your street and can wash into those storm sewers will end up in the lake. Well, and, and let's face it, this is part of the algae problem. These are the nutrients yes. that feed the algae lead to dead zones and, and make a mess of things. So pretty it's, it, it, do we have any clue as to when this will become an anomaly? I mean, we've spent billions of dollars trying to, fix this problem, but we continue to have the problem. Is this a 50 year plan, a 20 year plan? Well, in, in our lifetimes, will we get to a point where we can have a summer where <laughs> place isn't filled with sewage? That's the goal. But this, I mean, obviously, since I've moved to Cleveland, they've been working on these, right? Like building these giant underground holding tanks for all of this water. They've also really improved their green technology, right? So we all know about rain gardens and and um, permeable pavement and, and ways so that we don't have so much runoff from all the blacktop and, and that just whooshes into the storm sewers. I, I, I don't remember the exact number of years on the plan, but I think we're still talking at least a decade. I had, if you don't mind, I'd like to jump in. I was, I was chit-chatting with a city official a few weeks ago when the last overflow happened, and I thought this was really interesting. I don't remember the dollar amount, but the official was telling me that it would just, it would cost an obscene amount of money to take care of this, this last right. bit of the problem. So well, that's why right. we have Even when they yet. finish, they're still going to have some percentage of, of stuff flowing into the lake. They're never going to get to a hundred percent, never going to happen. No, like that's not even part of the EPA goal. No, but, the, but the percentage, if they get to their target percentage, it makes right. a big difference. And, and Courtney's right. Everything beyond that gets ridiculously expensive, but, but I, we're at a point where it's still pretty bad. What, what, What's sad is we put out a we asked readers to tell us what subjects they'd most like to see polled. And way up at the top is closing Burke Lakefront Airport and seeing what you could mm -hmm. do with it, because people really want to get access to the lake in a city that doesn't have much. But access to a lake that closes because it's filled with poop is not the dream I think they have in mind. Uh, hopefully it'll be the last time this summer that we'll talk about it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We've talked and talked about the need for more therapists and mental health workers, and Ohio Governor Mike DeWine set aside or proposed setting aside $85 million to help earlier this year, but nothing's happened since. Lisa, why is that money not going anywhere? 
I I don't know. It just seems to be hung up somewhere in there, you know, and we are facing a lame duck session as well. Um, $85 million in ARPA money was given for college, college scholarships, you know, in mental health counseling and social work um, fields. And this was DeWine's designation. That was approved by the feds in June, but DeWine and the legislature has not taken it up to approve it. They're currently on recess. They won't be back until November 8th, so after the election. But the Ohio Council of Behavioral Health CEO, Teresa Lample, says there are we needed that money back in May when it was approved, and we need it even more now. I mean, the situation is really acute. Um, there was a 2021 study done that shows that mental health care demand rose 253% between 2013 and 2019. So that's not even taking in a, the pandemic into account. The workforce in that same you know time period um, the workforce only rose 174%. So we're way behind the eight ball here. Um, DeWine would prefer that this would be introduced as a bill to be approved by lawmakers and then signed by himself. But like I said, they're recessed until November 8th. Another way to approve this funding it would be the Ohio Controlling Board, which is made up of lawmakers and appointees, and they meet every other Monday. So Lample is saying, can't we get on the agenda for the Ohio Controlling Board to get this money, you know, approved and out in the in the in the world? Yeah, I, I actually think Mike DeWine's right about this, that it shouldn't go through the controlling board and just get rubber stamped. That when you make a proposal like this to deal with mental health crises by adding people, if it goes through the legislature, you might have hearings where you get ideas to to use that money more effectively. That's the whole purpose. You get legislation, you have hearings, you collect expert testimony, and you massage a bill. Um, so when DeWine is saying, yeah, I don't think I should, we should just ram this through. We should do what we normally do and just have a robust conversation about it. He's probably right. The problem was he introduced this in May. There wasn't a lot of time before the legislature went on recess and it doesn't come back until after the election. The The sad thing is, is if it is part of the lame duck, as you say, there won't be any discussion there either. That stuff that goes to the lame duck is all hidden and, and, and crammed together. Uh, Matt Dolan has a gun bill that he has introduced that includes this 85 million. What's the thinking there? Right. Yeah. The senator from Chagrin Falls um, is sponsoring a bill, but um, it's part of the gun safety legislation. So it's tied to that. Dolan is seeking 90 more million more dollars for mental health crisis centers to be established as a jail diversion. But he says the reason he's bundling these together is that he wants a conversation on mental health, public safety and responsible gun owners. Ownership. So, you know, I, I, I laud him for those goals. I just don't know if his Republican, you know, colleagues are going to go for that. But if it, if this doesn't pass, if this bill doesn't pass, that $85 million for mental health scholarships would have to be inserted into another bill. Okay. Check out the story. It's by Laura Hancock, and it is on Cleveland.com. This is Today in Ohio. Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb has announced a huge spend of federal stimulus dollars on a program he calls Housing for All. Courtney, what is it and how will it work? Yeah, so this week there was a big marathon uh, meeting down at City Hall, and we really got the lay of the land when it comes to 
bids first round of ARPA proposals. And in this package, you know, it sounds like it was agreed upon largely between council leadership and BIB. So there is kind of both branches of government at work in this plan. And the biggest expense by far comprising this roughly $100 million plan that represents about a third of the money left that Cleveland has via ARPA, $35 million is going to go towards housing you know, to provide grants, equity, to incentivize new construction, renovation. And the focus is going to be on vulnerable populations, but some of this money is also going to go to market rate housing. So it's a it's a mix of housing there. You know, another big housing piece of this plan we heard was a proposed $10 million for home repair in the city to help folks fix up these these old homes that are all over Cleveland. We know there's been a gap and a need there. They're trying to fill that gap with some of this money. A couple other big proposals at play. There's money going, $5 million going to help, you know, mostly small minority contractors, CDCs, rehab structures in cases where banks aren't typically willing to provide funding. And then another $5 million for minority contractors to really help them get their their foot in the door when it comes to being able to bid on government projects. There's technical assistance going to be available and those kinds of things. And we could see this plan approved as soon as September 19th. Well, I might be overly sensitive because of how sleazy the Cuyahoga County Council has been with ARPA funds. But when you start putting this kind of money into home repair and home building, you really do create the potential for scams. There, there, there are scammers out there that see those dollar figures and think of ways to get into it. And there has been a history, both locally and across America, when you create these home repair programs and things like this, that, that phony companies get in and don't really do the work. I hope there's a higher level of auditing that goes along with it for sure we'll be doing that through stimulus watch because the prelay will be following every dollar but we've seen city council people get involved in federal spending ken johnston comes to mind where no good is being done and the money is being pretty much stolen and there was no discussion of that that i could see in in the movement on this and it just makes you skeptical Fair enough. And if you don't mind, I'd like to get into a a few more details here about about this plan. The housing stuff, like you said, it's a huge piece here, but it's not necessarily all of what we we learned. There's there's money being proposed here for a scholarship program for early childhood, you know, educators, teachers, staff. I thought that was a really interesting spend. Also a bonus program for those kind of staffers to recover from what the pandemic did to that industry. There's money here to expand a crisis intervention model among Cleveland police. There's money to increase gunshot detecting technology, which some council members were a little iffy on that because of civil rights and accuracy and things like that. There's also an initiative here to bring dash cams to Cleveland police, which I think is very interesting that that's, we we have not had that. We've had body cameras now for a a few years, but this would add more transparency to police that way. And I, and I, and I'd be remiss not to note there is 16 million of this set aside for, for big repairs that the administration needs to happen to city hall. They, they say the building itself has been neglected for a long time. There's water intrusion and this money's supposed to, you know, help repair the 
what they were calling the people's house. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are the Pan Am Masters Games, which are coming to Cleveland in 2024 with thousands of athletes? Is this kind of a senior games? It sounds like a huge event for Cleveland. But Laura, what exactly is it? Has it ever been to the United States before? And how does it compare to what we've all heard of repeatedly, the Pan Am Games? It's not the same thing, right? It is not the same thing. So the Pan Am Games, have the, they've been held for more than 70 years. Those are separate. And I think probably more competitive and more well-known than these Pan Am Masters Games, which are for people 30 and up. So you can't be 18 and compete. And you could be 100. You could, you could be 102 and compete. And they are 30 medal contending sports, including track and field, tennis, basketball, pickleball, bicycling. So I have already seen some excitement on Facebook from the master swimming group that I'm a part of people saying, you know, I'm going to be in the 85 to 89 age group. So I don't know what the rules are on who's going to be allowed to enter all of these competitions, but they are expecting about 7,500 athletes plus spectators from 50 countries. And the, the idea of the Pan Am, right, Pan American, is that this is all of the Americas, North and South and Central, obviously, Americas, and anyone from there can compete. How the countries will divvy that up, I'm not sure. So these are not athletes who earn their living as athletes. These are people... I don't think so, yeah. ...that, that might be very good tennis players or, I guess, very good pickleball players, but it's more of a, of a serious hobby than it is how they spend their days and make money. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see Venus Williams competing in the Masters Pan Am Games. There are like European games and there are Asian games. So um, and they're all Olympic style events, right? So I think it's going to be cool, but I don't think you're my guess is we're not going to see that kind of caliber because I don't think the fight over who's going to host these is as big as obviously who's going to host the Olympic Games. But this is the first time they're being hold, held in the United States. So that's kind of cool. And the biggest international event Cleveland's ever had. So, I mean, we had the senior games a couple of years ago. Obviously, we've had the RNC. That's not an international event. But we and we haven't had one in a couple of years. You can blame COVID. So this will be really cool. Well, it, for anybody who remembers the senior games, that was a delightful period in Cleveland. The, the whole town was filled with with older people competing in all sorts of different athletic events. Lots of people went to watch it. It was one of those pretty cool moments in Cleveland history where the city filled up with out-of-towners and they all had a great time. As I recall, we had very good weather for that. And hopefully we It was. And I was the first time I'd ever heard of pickleball. And now look at the trend. Like everybody plays pickleball, right? So um, maybe we'll see a new sport we haven't seen before. But yeah, it's exciting. And we got a couple years to gear up for it. But uh, it'll be, hopefully we'll have good weather. Yeah, it's a feather in the cap for the clear... It's the Cleveland Sports Commission that goes out and gets these events. And if the senior games are a predictor, this could be a great summer event to look forward to in two years. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What is the scheme that the Justice Department says a guy used at an independent wealth management company to help wealthy clients defraud the IRS? 
Lisa, this is fairly complicated with some ties to a bigger scheme in Florida. Yeah, and this uh, a guy called Cullen Fischel. He's the former chief financial officer of Independence-Based Associated Concepts Agency. He was named in a tax fraud scheme in Cleveland Federal Court, and this is a charge, an indictment by way of information, which means a plea agreement is probably in the works right now. Uh, Fischel will be arraigned in Federal Judge Bridget Brennan's courts on September 26th. But this scheme kind of started with a Florida attorney tax tax attorney Michael Meyer and and Cullen Fischel got kind of swept up into this scheme together and with other operators. They are alleged to have stolen $35 million from the IRS over the past 14 14 years. Meyer is not named in the indictment, but they reports believe that he is individual A who is named in the indictment. He trained Fischel on the scheme. What they did was they would set up a fake charity They would instruct their wealthy clients to create self-named LLCs and then deposit money into those LLCs and then report that it was donated to a charity. And then tax returns were faked. Meyer also set up fake charities to help this scheme along. And Fischel is alleged to have three times directed his clients to use this scheme. And together, they apparently avoided $1.6 million in taxes by using this scheme. They also backdated the donations to the previous tax year so it could be counted. And they created what is believed to be a fake charity, Compassion Beyond Borders Incorporated. Um, And Meyer helped incorporate that here in Ohio. All right, so this raises a lot of questions. I mean, forget this guy. He, they, they've got him, they believe. But all of the clients, uh, would, would they be liable? I, I mean, I would expect that they would have knowledge of what they're doing. I, the guy isn't going to say to them, hey, I got a charity that you can dodge. Well, did he, did he say, hey, I got a dodge for the IRS. We can protect your money or not. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be the guy that organizes the scheme. It's another thing to be somebody that didn't give the IRS what they had coming because you participated in the scheme. And I don't, I didn't see anything in the release that really deals with the people that benefited from this. Right. And they certainly seem complicit because they were asked to create companies named after themselves and then deposit money into those and then reported it was donated to charity. So they're, I would think they're knowing conspirators in this situation. Well, come on. You know if you owe the IRS money and you know if there's a dodge that is preventing you or allowing you to not pay them. Ultimately, I would think that they all will face the music too. You got to pay what what you're owed. And, you know, I expect that this is what some of those new IRS agents that will be hired (laughs) because of the budget bill will will be looking for more really sleazy scams so people don't pay what they owe. Interesting one. Check it out on cleveland.com. It is today in Ohio. What's the latest ruling to go against Oberlin College in a nationally watched case involving defamation of a bakery in a protest? Courtney, this one really does not make sense. If you look at the facts of it, it's almost evidence of how partisanship has infected our courts. Yeah, well, what we saw, you know, this week from the Ohio Supreme Court was a split right down party lines, to your point. So the justices voted for three, four Republicans, three Democrats, or excuse me, you know, on, on, on this case. And and 
you know, they rejected an appeal from the college of this, you know, $36 million defamation verdict that stems back to this 2016 case with Gibson Bakery that's right there next to the college in downtown Oberlin. Students and, you know, a staff member and 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 folks accused the Gibson Bakery, you know, of being racist after a shoplifting incident that involved, you know, a, a couple black students. And, and like you said, this turned into this national flashpoint. We didn't know whether the Ohio Supreme Court, where they were going to go on this, but this split backs up that whole conversation of, of the political division. You know, our longtime uh, communications lawyer, Dave Marburger, great guy, uh, he represented us in many things, wrote the book about the Ohio records law. He wrote an op-ed for us really dissecting this case and laying out why this is wrong, that this verdict is unfair, that, that it does not apply to what happened here. And at some point you keep thinking a court will say, wait, wait, that that's not the way the law is supposed to work. But at every juncture, the courts are ruling against Overland College. And there's this feeling that Overland College, very far left liberal college, conservatives are having a field day watching them suffer. But at some point, you would think the courts, which are supposed to be independent and follow the rule of law, would say, stop, this is not an appropriate verdict. And yet it, it hasn't happened. I I can't imagine that Oberlin won't take this to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. It's a First Amendment case, so it's federal. Uh, it has federal jurisdiction. But I that that they they're so partisan now. They're filled with a bunch of people that are making rulings based on what's partisan. That I, I think Oberlin might have to pay the money. It's a shock because this is wrong, and ultimately history will say it was wrong. But in in the now, we are such a polarized country that this kind of thing can happen. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, so that, well, I'm sorry, Courtney. I'm I'm kind of surprised that it wasn't unanimous. I mean, this was obviously, you know, Oberlin went way beyond. I mean, they basically castigated this bakery for something that turned out to be true. So I, I can't believe the Democrats didn't, you know, side with the Republicans on this. So you think they're guilty? You Who, think Oberlin they College? Yeah. Yes. Oh, see, I'm I'm on the complete other side. So there you go. And we're not even polarized. <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. How did the Cleveland Clinic do financially with its main operations in the most recent reporting period? And how did its massive investment portfolio of billions of dollars do with the recent stock market volatility? Laura, of course, if they, as a nonprofit, reinvested their billions in investments in the community like nonprofits are supposed to, their losses wouldn't be quite so big. No, no. And so we parse this from their financials, pages and pages of of numbers. And what's pretty clear is that patient revenue is still increasing at the clinic, not enough to keep up with faster growing wages and other costs. But they didn't have an operating loss. Like, let's just be very clear. They made $91.4 million in operating income from January through June. I don't think that's much to complain about. Um, last year, in that same period, they made $776 million, which 
kind of mind boggling. So their net revenue from patient services increased 4% from 5.3 to 5.5 billion. They did lose in, uh, $840 million on investments in the first half of 2022. So that's where their big losses came. And compare that to the first six months of 2021 when they made $808 million. So that's a big difference, but it's all based on the stock market. Yeah. And I think the clinic wants people to to hear the loss of the billions because Chris Ronane, a candidate for county executive, has gone public with a plan to to pressure them to pay payments in lieu of taxes because they they don't pay taxes on all their facilities. There are many facilities, and a lot of communities suffer as a result. So I think they want to cry poor. They can't cry poor. As you point out, their operations are making money. It's just their investment portfolio that dropped. And a year ago, their investment portfolio had shot up. The investment portfolios rise and fall with the stock market. Right. And you're just obviously you don't depend on that to pay the bills, right? You put it in the in the stock market and you see how it does over time. It, you can't just like... You, <laughs> a six-month measure is not a good measure of that. But right, the, when the Cleveland uh, Clinic Foundation sends me their mailings asking for money, more money, that is not where I'm like, yes, let me please write you a check because I'm still paying for my foot surgery for last but there, year. There really is something wrong with the picture, though, that a nonprofit that's supposed to be dedicated to, to health has that kind of an investment portfolio. The whole idea of the nonprofit is you don't take the money. It doesn't enrich anybody. You're supposed to put it back into your cause. And it's just staggering how much money they're sitting on. And it get, the, many people are in favor of Chris Ronane's plan. Hey, you ought to pay your share, at least then, mm -hmm. to the communities where you have buildings, because that's fallow land tax-wise. you got billions. Right. Cities are suffering. Pay your share. Um, and they're always at the top of that list of the deficit, right? And what they're providing in charity care. Right. So they can't even say, we're doing so much good for the community in healthcare because- I mean, they obviously they do some charity care, but there's a, a big, well, big gap. There. They put out a community benefits report where they cook the numbers in many ways. And that independent arbiter is looking at the clinic saying, no, you're one of the worst in the nation for reinvesting in the community. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We're not going to get to the last story. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens. 